Well, the Apostle John tells us at the end of his gospel that there were many well, other signs and miracles that Jesus performed which were not written in, in his book. In, in fact, he says in that last verse of his gospel that there were many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, he supposed that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Hmm. Hyperbole? I, I suppose. And yet we do understand there were many other miracles which Jesus performed that well, that we know nothing about. Scholars even suggest that Jesus almost eliminated sickness in Galilee during his three-year ministry there. I mean, can you imagine? No more lepers or no more lame or deaf or blind people, no cripples or no paralytics, no doctors, no insurance, no wrestling over Obamacare, no, no cancer, no heart disease or heart transplants. No Alzheimer's or dementia. For some, like the widow's son and Jairus' daughter and, and Lazarus, no, no death. For a couple of large crowds, no, no hunger. You see, he was giving a taste of the way things were supposed to be. There were some rather amazing miracles. But for a minute, what do you suppose some of those unrecorded miracles might have been? You know, the ones that didn't make John's book. Speculations and myths and legends have arisen through the years as to what those um, were. Um, supposed lost gospels have appeared, citing some before unknown miracles and even unknown teaching. <laughs> unknown teaching, that should be fun. Uh, the lost gospel of the Holy Twelve, um, discovered in 1870, suggested that the reason that Jesus um, cleared the temple which we're going to look at maybe in a couple of weeks, uh, is that he was, a, well, he was a strict vegetarian and he was opposed to blood sacrifices. That's not the reason he cleared the temple. And there's, there's also the Gospel of Peter, uh, the Gospel of St. Thomas. I kind of doubt that one. And, and the Gospel of Judas, which I understand leaves you hanging. Uh, the, the, gospel of, uh, the, the Gospel of Philip, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Bring it in. <laughs> in these and in, in, in these and others, you um, you can read the things that John left out. Probably not. Uh, most of those are actually Gnostic gospels that weren't written until the second or third centuries. But let me give you an example of, of one of the supposed lost miracles. According to the Gospel of Peter, not to be confused with the Epistles of Peter, the Gospel of Peter. It's not in your Bible. Uh, when when the nails were removed from Jesus' hands and dropped to the ground, they caused an earthquake. No. There, there's a more important question than what did Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John leave out. The more important question is, why did they choose uh, to include the ones that they included? And, and, you know, leaving out the other ones. I mean, if there were hundreds, perhaps thousands of miracles uh, 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 and healings, why record the ones that we have? I mean, maybe they were their personal favorites. Maybe they were the ones that were the more memorable, the ones that they talked about later as they sat around the dinner table. Do you remember the time that Jesus... Uh, not only that, why did Mark, since that's the gospel we're in, uh, for example, record the the miracles and, and, place, and, uh, and place them 
where he did in his gospel? Why position certain miracles with certain stories? For example, Mark chapter 10, you can turn there, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Over the past couple of months, we've seen that Jesus has wrapped up his Galilean ministry uh, up north. Uh, in Palestine. He's made his way south now to Judea. He's on his way to Jerusalem. We, we know that. Three times in chapters 8, 9, and 10, uh, he told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem where I will suffer many things. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests, the, uh, the scribes, and uh, then I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. I'll be tried, and I'll be condemned to die. I'll be mocked and scourged and, and spit upon and, and killed. And Matthew tells us, for the first time, crucified. But, but on the third day, I'll, I'll be raised from the dead. It, it's where he's headed at this point in our story. He's walking on ahead of them, remember? He's walking with a purpose, he, he, not to be deterred. The, the next chapter, which we'll perhaps get into next week, starts with the story of the triumphal entry. That kicks off his Passion Week, the, the week which begins his suffering, which will... Well, it'll result in his crucifixion, but it'll culminate in his resurrection. But, but we're not quite there yet. Right after that third passion prediction, right before this triumphal entry, we have two stories placed side by side. Why? Now, well, why not just proceed to the triumphal entry? Why insert these two stories? Uh, one of them we looked at last week, you remember, it was the story of James and John sons of thunder, sons of Zebedee, uh, uh, coming to Jesus and asking, I suggested for a family favor, uh, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. Grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your, in your glory. Give us the most honored seats in the kingdom. It was an audacious, bold, arrogant request. Jesus assured them that they would drink of the cup. Uh, that he would drink, they would be baptized with the baptism that he was about to receive, meaning they would suffer. But to receive those those particular seats, not not mine to give. And from there, Jesus launched into, well, yet another lesson as to the nature of his kingdom because these guys obviously weren't getting it. These two stories are placed side by side with a purpose. You see, Last week, he taught us that greatness in the kingdom is not found in, in the way greatness is found on our planet. No, not, it's, it's not the way it's found among unbelievers, among Gentiles. Greatness is not found in authority and giving orders and commanding a lot of attention and people, of having a lot of people under you and serve you and report to you. No, 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 no. Greatness in the kingdom is found in serving. More than that, it's, it's in being a slave to others. For just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Greatness is found in service, in meeting the needs of people, no matter what those needs might be, no matter what your personal schedule might be, no matter what your time constraints might be, no matter what they can or cannot do for you, no matter how great or how small the act of service, no matter how dignified or how demeaning, no matter what other people might think of you, no matter what other people might expect from you, greatness is found in service. We saw that last week. 
But now before we get to the triumphal entry, Mark gives us yet another story, this one a healing miracle. In fact, it's the last healing miracle that's recorded in this particular gospel. Sure, in chapter 11, he's going to curse a fig tree, but that was taking life. This was giving it (laughs) life to dead eyes. But here's my question. Why this story? Why this healing of this blind man, Bartimaeus? I don't even know his name. I mean, why is it here? Read it with me. And and as we read, it's going to appear rather mundane or routine, perhaps, uh, by now. Mark chapter 10, verse 46, and then they, Jesus, the disciples, came to Jericho and and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a uh, uh, with his disciples in a large crowd, a, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, I mean son of Timaeus, was, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David. Uh, son of David? No one's called him that before. Have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David. There there it is again. Have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up. He's he's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he he jumped up and came to Jesus. And and answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do? We've heard that before. And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight, but he didn't go. He began following him on the road, on the way. Why? Why is this here at this point in Mark's gospel? Well, I would suggest two very important reasons. First, Mark and, well, more importantly, Jesus wants to illustrate what Jesus has just taught, namely that that kingdom greatness is found in service, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. He's on his way to Jerusalem to do something, you know, really big, don't you think? I mean, nothing less than the culmination of redemptive history, and he takes time out to heal a, well, by societal standards as we listen to this crowd, a a no-count blind beggar. We don't have time for you. Second, I would suggest this story is intentionally recorded right after this story of James and John's request to draw a very stark contrast, a contrast between the way the, the boys came and why they came and the way this blind beggar came and to encourage us to come the way of the beggar. You see, when you come as broken beggars, poor in spirit, you get what you ask for. Would you notice that Jesus asked both James and John and then Bartimaeus the same question, what do you want me to do for you? To to James and John, who were his disciples, been hanging out with him for three years, he said no. But to Bartimaeus, no count. 
He said yes. What's the difference? We're supposed to notice. Let me give you the outline of the text as we make our way through it. We're going to see first Bartimaeus' obnoxious, loud, rude request, followed by Jesus' compassionate response. Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, apparently making their way again to Jerusalem. It's about 17 miles away. But now Luke tells us that following this particular healing, Jesus spent some time in Jericho with a guy named Zacchaeus, you remember that. And John tells us that he also stops in Bethany on the way to raise a guy named Lazarus from the dead. Uh, But it's safe to say at this point we're only a few days away from the triumphal entry. The trip from Jericho uh, up to Jerusalem was was one day's arduous journey. I say arduous because Jericho was 800 feet below sea level and Jerusalem was about 2,700 feet above sea level. Quite the climb. But remember, (laughs) Jesus was walking with the purpose. I can see everybody falling behind. Accompanied by his disciples, large crowd. Mentioned last week, either a larger group of his followers, or maybe they're just pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover. Uh, see the picture. They, they would be walking on the road with their lambs for the Passover sacrifice, not, not realizing that they were with the Lamb of God who would be sacrificed to take away the sins of the world. There were lots of blind uh, people at this time, a number of causes which led to blindness to include the birth process itself, which is why today many doctors put in antiseptic and uh, or doctors put uh, antiseptic in a newborn baby's eyes. At this time, Jericho had a, an abundance of balsam bush, bushes from which a medicine came supposedly to treat blindness. As a result, there were lots of blind people uh, that congregated in Jericho to include this guy named Bartimaeus. And we should note some things about him. I mean, first, well, he's a beggar. I, I mean, that's what blind or disabled, disabled people did. It's their only hope, you see, for survival. Just kind of relying on the goodness of people to give. Uh, second, he was sitting by the road. I think that's significant because that's all he could do. He's not walking, you see, to Jerusalem with everyone else like he was supposed to to observe the Passover. He couldn't. Third, Mark notes his name was Bartimaeus, that he was the son of Timaeus. Now, that's actually a redundancy there, Bar-Timaeus, in Aramaic means son of Timaeus, but we remember that the Mark is writing to likely a Roman non-Aramaic speaking people, so he translates it for them. But his name, regardless, was Bartimaeus. I discovered something this week. I never, I've never talked through the book of Mark before. I discovered something I did not know. Did you know that this is, this is the only person in all of the synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where the one healed is named? <laughs> Your mind's racing right now. You're going, wait, 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 just a minute. No, only one. I mean, we know about Peter's mother-in-law, we don't know her name. We know about Jairus' daughter, we don't know her name. We know them as the leper, the paralytic, the the blind, the deaf, the the lame. But but this one, we we know his name. We're going to come back to that. Now, uh, while there were a lot of blind people 
they were still considered part of the riffraff, the, the broken people of society. Uh, there, there wasn't a lot for them to do. Most made their living on the paltry alms that they received from, well, begging. See the picture. Ragged, poverty-stricken, blind, broken, beggar, who simply made it from day to day as people took pity on him and threw him a few coins. And if the crowds, obviously compassionate as this story demonstrates, if they did not show him pity, he would go hungry, no doubt, as he had done many days before. But what difference does it make? He's just a blind beggar. Today, we know beggars position themselves at traffic lights. Then, in Jesus' day, they most often positioned themselves near the gates of the cities, hoping to beg from travelers who were more likely to have some bucks on them. And and at this particular time, the the Passover was approaching. There there would have been thousands of of travelers on the road that day. So this blind beggar had sat there for who knows how many days and how long that day, eking out a rather pitiful existence hoping that, well, since these were pilgrims who were going to a religious festival, shouldn't religious people be giving? Maybe they'd be generous. On this particular day, something special, something extraordinary happened, which would, well, it would change the rest of his life. As he sat there that day, he noticed an unusual stir, an unusual excitement in the air. And, and then he overheard someone say, Jesus is passing by. <laughs> Jesus, why? He's, he's the guy from Galilee known all over the country for healing people. I mean, he was causing the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. I've heard the stories, the lepers to, to be made whole, the, the dead to rise, and yes, even the blind to see. He'd heard the stories. Could it, could, could it be that he would show me mercy? So he begins crying out. It's an interesting word for cry there. It's the word crazo. I guess we get our word crazy from it, which speaks of loud screams. The word was used of the screams of insane people and women giving birth. No correlation there. He began, he began crying out crazily, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David? Where did he get that? I mean, Matthew and Luke tell us his genealogy. Mark doesn't. His words are significant. He's the first one to use this title, and I say title in the Gospels. It actually, it actually paves the way for the crowds, the, the next chapter, to start crying out, Son of David, the triumphal entry. You see, by this time, Son of David was a messianic title. Blind Bartimaeus realized that Jesus was more than a healer. The son of David, you see, would sit on David's throne. The son of David would be the Messiah. Maybe this blind guy wasn't quite so blind after all. Jesus, he was saying, I've heard what you've done. I've heard what you can do. I know who you are. Have mercy on me too. Bartimaeus realized that Jesus was his last hope, his only hope to meet his desperate need for healing. So he cried out rather loudly, obnoxiously for help. I get the picture again, see it. 
I'm sure it wasn't pretty. <laughs> I mean, this is a blind, motley beggar ignoring any sense of decorum, crying out for mercy, stumbling, stammering, crying, flailing his arms about, dirty, unsightly, unseemly, unrespectable. He's a blind beggar. Like the guys you ignore at the traffic lights. See, the crowd thought so. Continuing in the unfolding drama. This man was in desperate straits. He needed the help that only Jesus could give. This broken man begins crying out for mercy in the crowd. Those enamored with Jesus? Without a similar need, without similar brokenness, I would suggest, told the beggar sternly to be quiet. That's a nice way of saying they told him to shut up, these religious people. Why? Because beggars were just an interruption. They were needy. They couldn't add to the festive procession, you see, to all the good things going on. If anything, he's just taking away from our celebration. We're on our way to Jerusalem to a religious festival called the Passover with Jesus. Will you just sit there and shut up? You're taking away from the movement. Jesus doesn't have time for you. We don't have time for you. We're busy following Jesus. Are, are you kidding me? Let me take just an aside and wonder with you how many people in churches across this town and across this world don't have time for broken people. And we're too busy with our programs. Blind people, you see, get in the way of all the good things that God is doing. The wonderful worship, the, the, the great teaching, the wonderful life that, in the church that we've come to experience. We don't have time. We don't have time, you see, for blind beggars, for drunks and prostitutes and sinners and, well, needy people. They, we've got a movement going on here. Shut up. We don't have time to hear about your pathetic needs Think about it this way. You walk through those doors and you ask the question, hey, how's it going? What's the answer you expect? In fact, what's the only acceptable answer? Fine, and if we don't get that, we don't want to hear it. I wonder into how many churches broken people can come and find grace and healing and care and forgiveness, find a place where people will care for them um, pray for their healing, their emotional, spiritual, and even physical healing, and care for them and bind up their wounds and deal with their baggage. I, I, I really want us to be that kind of place. Not where needy people come and we tell them to shut up. We would never be so crass as to say it that way but we are just as effective when we turn away from the less desirables. When we ask, how's it going? And they start to give an answer besides fine, and we don't care. When people take off their masks at the door and we turn away from their messiness, from their unsightliness, when we fail to go after broken people or straying Sheep, I don't have time for that. If we don't have time, if we don't take time, we don't then have time to do the work of Jesus. We don't have time to be Christ's followers because that's what he did. It's what he called us to do. He didn't come, you see, to be served but to serve. 
blind beggars. They told him sternly to be quiet, which caused Bartimaeus to cry out all the more, that is, all the louder, all the more irritatingly, all the more obnoxiously. You see, when desperate people sense that Jesus is their only hope, they will not be turned away. If the people that should accept you don't accept you, you'll go to anyone who will accept you. That brings us to our second point. And Jesus' compassionate response. I say compassionate because that's what Matthew says. Notice Jesus stopped. Don't miss that. He's in the midst of the clamor of the crowds, the important trip to Jerusalem to fulfill the redemptive plan of the ages, and he stopped. While the crowds were saying, shut up, Jesus stopped and called him. I love the way Mark says it, but I can't hear their tone. I can't hear any tone here. So they, that is the crowds, called the blind man saying, take courage, stand up. He's calling for you. I don't know the tone. But I do know that while everyone else ignored him, in fact abused him, Jesus called him. If you do not hear anything else today, hear this. Even though, listen carefully, even though the crowd may not give a rip about you, even though they may tell you to be quiet, we don't care about your needs, there is one who cares. And he will stop. Sometimes, unfortunately, the crowd is the church. Maybe you've been in a place where you have not felt cared for, and in fact, where you shared your problems and you felt shunned. If you have felt that here, I'm sorry. I do not want us to be that kind of church. We are not, we will not be that kind of church. I want to say that there is one who always hears, who always responds. Always responds. It may not be the response we want to hear, but Jesus always hears and always responds with our best in mind, always. And I want us to be a church, a crowd of followers, if you will, of Jesus, where it is safe, where you can come and share your hurts and your pains and your hang-ups and your struggle and even your sin, and you will find not more condemnation. You get enough of that out there. But in here, I want you to find grace and hope and healing and forgiveness. I want us to be the kind of people willing to bind up wounds and care for you. We're going to do that this morning. Why? Because we call ourselves fully devoted followers of Jesus and we want to be like Christ. What did he say? What do you want me to do for you? Again, it's the same question he asked James and John when they came to Jesus a few verses ago. He told them no because their eyes were simply on their own greatness. But here, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus simply cried out for mercy. His blind eyes were on Jesus and Jesus' greatness and Jesus' ability to heal. Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. Rabboni is a, an intensified form of rabbi. And think of it as saying not just teacher but great teacher. It only appears one other, one other time in the New Testament. And that's when Mary Magdalene in John 20 sees Jesus raised from the dead and she says, Rabboni, great teacher. Maybe this blind guy could see better than the rest. 
I want to see. He had a need only Jesus could meet, only Jesus. And my question for you this morning is, do we have anybody here like that? Someone who desperately needs a touch from Jesus. Stop and think about Jesus' question. What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus is at a crossroads at this point. He has a decision to make. He could have asked what he always asked for. What did he always ask for? He could have asked for more money. Jesus, give me enough money so that I, may, that I don't have to beg anymore. But in the end, leave me in my miserable life. I wonder how many people approach Jesus that way today. Jesus, give me what I want, not even necessarily prosperity, but just meet this want, even this need, and believe me in my deplorable, miserable condition. Bartimaeus didn't ask for temporary relief for something that would have made him like the rich young ruler, clinging to riches but losing life. He asked for sight, the same thing that we asked Jesus for today, spiritual life, spiritual sight, spiritual healing. Matthew tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion. That's a Christ-like quality, this is compassion for broken people. <laughs> Not turning away from needs, but turning toward need, moved with compassion, Jesus said, go. Your faith has made you well. That's why Jesus had this conversation with him. It's the reason he asked the question, by the way. He knew what Bartimaeus' need. Everybody knew what Bartimaeus' need was. He's drawing out faith. And, 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 and what do you want? Do you believe that I'm able to do it? Immediately he regained his sight and notice followed him. Jesus said, go. But Bartimaeus followed because broken people, having received grace and healing, follow Jesus. Please notice he went from the side of the road to the middle of the road with joy following Jesus. We've just seen it time and time again in Mark. When Jesus makes you whole, whole, your only response is to become a devoted follower. So, as I close this morning, I want to address briefly the, those two reasons that I suggested that this story is placed right here. First, I suggested it was here to illustrate what Jesus had just taught. Namely, he came not to be served, but to serve. That's the way we should be. He's on his way to be crucified. He's on his way to the climax of the story, and he took time to stop and serve a blind beggar. The fact is, Jesus, the God of the universe, takes time for broken people who realize their need and ask for help. The second reason I believe this story is here is to serve as a contrast between James and John and this blind beggar named Bartimaeus. Again, they were his disciples. They had been following him. And Jesus said to them, just like he said to the blind man, what do you want? And that's where the similarity ends. Their request did not come from a position of brokenness, but rather from one of greatness. Grant that we may sit on your right and your left. We've done a good job, don't you think? We deserve it. Give us what we've earned. And all they got was a subtle rebuke and some more teaching on service. But when the blind man came, as I said before, it probably wasn't very pretty. It wasn't attended with pomp and circumstance, filthy. Broken beggar. He likely bowed, but in brokenness and true worship, Jesus, Son of David, Messiah, God, 
have mercy on me. I want to see. I want to say to you this morning that Jesus is in the business of meeting the needs of broken, humble people. And he doesn't have a lot of time for proud people. He's in the business of providing grace and healing for people with physical and spiritual and emotional needs, for people who are willing to admit their need and their brokenness and come in faith to Christ. So so let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel like in a crowd this size, perhaps, in a universe so big where God is taking care of, you know, planets and stars, that you are too insignificant for him to notice? I would say to you from this story that Jesus will stop for you. Just like he knows the names of all of the stars that he has suspended in space, he knows your name as well. He cares for you and wants to meet your needs. This morning, I want to provide, we want to provide an opportunity for you to to be heard. I ask the elders to be, to come prepared once again uh, to pray, uh, to, to pray to Jesus. This is not about elders. It's about Jesus asking that Jesus will meet your needs. But in order for that to happen, you've got to come like Bartimaeus. Not caring what others thought, not caring what the crowd said. Come on, we've got Sunday school or other programs. We've got to beat the crowds to the restaurant. Can I tell you right now, we're not in a hurry. You must come. I'm going to ask our elders, their wives. In fact, why don't you stand to your feet, if you would, and ask our elders and their wives to make their way to the front. I believe this morning that God wants to meet your needs, and I'm asking you to allow us to pray for you that God will hear your desperate cries and heal your need, remembering that he will always do what's best um, for you. Maybe you just want to, the worship team's coming. They're going to sing a great song. You'll find it to be a great song, and maybe you'll just sing. That's great. Maybe you'll stay right where you are and you'll pray. That's great. Maybe you'll come to the front and you say, I don't really need to talk to anybody. I just need to talk to God. That's great. You can do that too. Maybe you'll ask someone to come up with you and that's great too. But we're, we're gathered here across the front and we are prepared. They have oil to anoint you. I said, well, that's right out of James chapter 5. If anyone among you is sick, let him come to the elders of the church. They are to anoint you with oil, nothing medicinal or magical or mystical about the Oil, it's just symbolic of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We'll anoint you with oil and pray for your healing, spiritual. Is anyone among you sick? The word speaks of spiritual, emotional, relational, and physical sickness. Whatever your need is. But you've got to come. You're not, you're not, but the elders, we're not Jesus. We're simply praying to Jesus on your behalf, per James 5. So, Father, would you meet us in a special way as we sing, as we worship, and as we pray. Meet needs of broken beggars, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.